What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, here with my co-host Curtis. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. You can also email us, if that's a little easier for you, Podcast at gmail.com. We really do love to get your thoughts on the show, guys, seriously. So if you like the show, let us know what you like, so keep doing it. If you don't like something we're doing, let us know so that we can... Uh, kind of cut that junk out so yeah and also we'd love to get your thoughts on the topics we discuss so feel free guys in twitter at glory underscore uga you can email us glory uga podcast at gmail.com uh, you can also find the show on a bunch of different podcasting platforms doll sports radio of course you can also find us on uh, itunes soundcloud stitcher tune in any review you guys can give us whether it's positive negative any review at all uh would definitely be helpful so if you get a chance Head that way. iTunes especially would be awesome if you guys give us a review there. But let's go ahead and uh, get into into today's show. Don't waste too much time because we got part two of our May mailbag. We got a bunch of questions. We actually got quite a few after um, Wednesday's show because there's been some news coming down the pipe here. So don't want to waste too much time. We'll make sure we get to everybody's question. Don't, don't want to leave anything out. So Kurt, you ready to go ahead and dig into this? Yeah. All right, man. So let's go ahead and start here. Again, just like uh, Wednesday's show, we've got a good mix of questions here. Football, recruiting, basketball, baseball, a bunch of different stuff here. So let's go ahead and start it off with this. Uh, is there really any hope that our offensive line will be better this season? We all know that was a major weakness last year that's been beaten to death, but I'm not sure I believe we will improve that much along the offensive line in 2017. So, Kurt... How do you respond to that question? Is there really any hope for offensive line to improve this season? Um, I think there is. I think the biggest reason is I think we have more guys that are, uh, you know, actually fit for certain positions. Um, and at the same time, I think we're younger at some – we should be younger at some positions. So you should see them improving throughout the season where last year we were, you know, both some of these guys have maxed out their potential. So you, you would prefer having the younger guys who aren't as established over having veterans who aren't going to grow as much is basically what you're saying? More or less, I mean, you can say, well, freshmen or younger mistakes. Well, our older guys are making young mistakes. I mean, how many times was Greg Pike jumping offside, especially in the red zone, that would kill us? I mean, that's a senior doing that, not a freshman. Yeah, you, um, so yeah, you, we saw that stuff. But you also, I mean, those guys, for the most part, your physical limitations were there. But they seemed, I mean, there weren't too many blown assignments among some of those veteran guys like Pikes uh, and Kublano. I mean, how many times did Kublano get killed? He had bad snaps left you know, quite sure. a few bad snaps which you shouldn't see from a senior. But there were physical limitations, no doubt. I mean, they were just getting. I well, mean, that's what I'm saying. I think the physical limitations is the biggest thing. It's a we will see an improvement with some of these guys that maybe are better fit for these positions. I think you're right on that account. I do think we'll see some uh, improvement physically, just because I think, like you said, we're gonna have guys that fit those positions a little bit more. I think in t- one of the biggest problems we had last year was the interior offensive line was just too small. There wasn't enough weight to be thrown around there, and that's. You can get away with maybe one or one guy there on your interior being a little smaller, maybe your center. But when you have all three guys in the interior that are pretty much undersized, that's going to create some issues, especially when you want to be a downhill running team that wants to impose your will on teams. We weren't able to do that. So we had to get creative offensively or try to get creative. We, we never really established an identity because, because of that weakness. So I think with guys like Solomon Kinley getting opportunity to, to jump into that starting group, at least for now, we'll see. Um in Pat Allen's, he needs. I, think, I would like for Pat Allen to add a little bit more weight if he's going to hold on to that position. But Gailier, I, I don't know. You think Gailier's going to be an improvement over Cablano at center? I mean, Cablano's. I mean, he didn't get drafted, but he's right now in an NFL camp. Is, can we really expect Gailier to be an improvement? That, uh, the one thing that helps Gailier is uh, 
Honestly, I think he's a little bit bigger, and I think he's a little bit quicker. I think he's a better athlete. Yes, he's a better athlete. I think he's a, he is a little bit bigger than Cabano was, and, and we talked about this. I mean, Cabano, you know, he played his heart out, and he, you know, he was he he was a good dude out there, and and he did, he put it on the line for for the G. So I I don't want to be too critical of him, but the fact was, going back to the physical limitations, he was just too small. He was undersized, and we've talked about it ad nauseum going back to last year. How many times was he in the lap of Jacob Eason, almost at the snap? Uh, so hopefully Galliard will eliminate that happening as often. I'm not going to say it will never happen, but hopefully it won't happen as often. I do think we're going to have a little more beef uh, on the interior, which will be important. And we got some guys coming in, especially we got guys like Tory Johnson, Justin Schaefer. Those are the interior offensive linemen that Sam Pittman wants moving forward. Will they be ready to play this year? Jury's still out there. But at least we're going to have bodies that will be options to give us the look that we want to have, you know? And yeah. at the tackle position, I don't, do you really feel that we're going to be any better on the perimeter outside there with the tackles? Um, I still think it's to be seen, but I think uh, some of these guys have a better opportunity. I mean, I think Catalina was just overmatched by the SEC talent, and Pike was playing out of position. See, I thought Catalina was okay in the run game. I mean, he looked okay at times, but there were times he was overmatched. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I thought he was. I thought he was solid in the run game for the most part. Now, that's there were times where he was he would get beat, but the, I thought he was a pretty solid player in the run game. Now, pass protection, going against speed rushers, he was in outer space. He he had no chance. Uh, again, he's another guy's in NFL camp though, so you know he didn't get drafted, but he's in a camp. These are the Redskins, I want to say. Uh, I I'll say this: if we stick with Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. Will obviously be smaller, although he has put on some good. I saw him around town not too long ago, and he's definitely over 300 pounds, much bigger than he's ever been here during his time in Athens. He, he will be smaller because Catalina was huge, but will be more athletic. So, are you willing to trade the size on the perimeter there for athleticism and footwork? That because that's to me that's what gave us trouble last year was stopping those speed rushers. Are you good with that trade off? Um, I think I am. I think the biggest thing is that these guys have room to be coached up. Even Win, a guy who's going into his senior year? Uh, we know how I feel about Win. I know. I know. I know. I know. But okay, let's just let's look at him and Catalina. So Catalina man left tackle for pretty much the entire year last year. Are you more comfortable going into 2017 with Isaiah Win at left tackle than you were with Catalina all of 2016? That's tough. It is tough. Um you know, and it really comes down to maybe if who knows if when come game one or game two will still be there. No, we don't know that. There's still so much stuff to be played out. That's why this question's tough because we have a lot of guys coming in, whether it's Isaiah Wilson, whether it's uh, Schaefer, whether it's Notori Johnson, maybe even Andrew Thomas. Uh, we have some guys that are going to compete. They may not win the jobs, but they are there to compete, and the opportunities will present themselves. So there's a lot to see here. I would probably lean towards right now uh, when probably st- – I think the odds are that he stays at left tackle. I don't think that's a done deal. I think the odds are, you know, we're talking about a senior who's maybe not the perfect, uh, you know, prototype fit for that position versus a freshman who might be the per- per- perfect prototype but not quite ready yet. I think it's probably the odds would favor him staying in that position. And if we do, I'm okay with that. I know we're going to give up some size there, um, some movement off the ball. But the biggest issue I felt with our tackles last season – was their, their their ability to protect the passer. Whether it was Pike, who was, I mean, and Pike, look, we said this a lot last year. I'll go back. I, just, I want to defend him for a second. The guy took one for the team last year and was playing out of position. He is a very good guard and an 
average at best tackle. But he was our best option there, so we stuck with him. At least our coach thought he was the, he was our best option, so he took one for the team there. But still, you got the T Rex arms, couldn't get his arms on defenders. I mean, the defenders would get their arms on him much quicker than he could get anything on them because they just had longer arms. And when that happens, you're most of the vast majority of the time you're B as offensive lineman. And then you got Catalina who didn't have the footwork. The speed rushers were killing him. I think Wynn's more equipped with his athleticism and footwork to handle those speed rushers off the edge. We'll see. Uh, but I think there's reason to hope. I think we have more bodies that fit what we're looking for. And I know a lot of them are young and inexperienced. Even Ben Cleveland, a guy who wasn't ready last year, but he made some strides. And I, I, he didn't play in G-Day, but I, I saw him at the first scrimmage, and he looked really good. So I think we have more guys who can compete for playing time that fit – what we want for this scheme. So I think there is hope that we can be better. I don't, I'm not going to say, say definitively will be, because I, I, I don't think you can say that safely right now. There's so much that has to be played out. But I think there's hope that we could be better. Uh, all right, let's move on to a recruiting question here. Uh, I know you guys have talked about it before, but with Jaron Williams recommitting, recommitting to Kentucky, I guess that happened, what, about two weeks ago now? Where do we stand with our 2018 quarterback recruiting? I mean, you know the biggest thing is, you know, I think one thing – one false narrative that a lot of fans are thinking is that we should be landing a stud four or five star. That's going to be, I don't think they really have two five stars on campus right now. And those guys know that they will have to be sitting for at least one year, maybe more, if Fromm wins the job because he might have a year ahead of them. And, you know, so that's difficult enough. So people aren't really understanding that. But at the same time, you know, I think um, Matt Coral out of California is still listening heavily. You know, I think Easton was really selling him on the fact of, coming and playing the SEC and also not having to be the hometown boy with the hometown savior pressure on you. Um, so he is still listening, and there's other people out there that coaches are offering everyone. I think the biggest thing we need right now is someone that could, you know, hold a scholarship, challenge from, and, you know, be someone that we could at least depend on to, you know, like a Hudson Mason. Yeah, okay. I'll start with this. First off, I have no clue what's going on with the quarterback. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't know what, what it's going to end up looking like. I will say this, uh, I think we've offered every quarterback in America. I don't think there's one quarterback in America that we have not offered. I mean, we're just, we're offering everybody. Which, you know, we're casting a wide net, I guess you can sell it that. Or you can say that we just have no clue what's going on. We're just trying to give, get anyone to give us some attention. Um, I, I will, you're right on, um, I don't know, Corral, Coral, I don't know, whatever. Uh, quarterback Matt Coral, what'd you say? Coral, we're going to go with that? Is that what we're going to go with? Uh, I guess. Yeah, Coral, C-O-R-R-A-L, Corral, Coral, I don't know. Cor- I'm going to go with Corral. Right? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but he's a quarterback out of California, Long Beach, currently committed to Southern California. But I, within the past week, I've heard from more than one source from different publications that we are seriously in it for him. And he is seriously giving thought to the idea of coming down south here to play at Georgia. And you're right about Eason kind of getting his ear on his, on his visit down here and, and kind of selling him on the fact, hey, I come from the West Coast. It's a cool vibe. It's a great college town. Less pressure here. Get away from the hometown pressure. I don't know if he's going to flip, but I, I, I have heard some serious conversation to that effect from multiple different sources, not just from one spot, from, from one guy. I've heard multiple different sources there. So I think there's a really and, – and if you guys don't know who he is, he's a top 20 player nationally. Uh, he's a number two pro-style quarterback this year behind Trevor Lawrence. Uh, so really, really good player. Uh, I like what I've seen out of him. He's also mobile-ish. He's not a dual-threat guy, but he's a guy that can move around a little bit. So he's a guy uh, – Cameron Cooper – it's a guy that we had offered. He's a he's, he's a solid guy. He's 6'4", 220, got a good prototype body. But he committed to Washington State, so he's off the board. Then, of course, Jaron Williams, who I, I, I think should be moving up the boards for a lot of these recruiting services, and he has been. He recommitted to Kentucky, so that seems to be off the table. And I, I want to mention this. It's, a, it's still a long shot, 
but don't count us out for Justin Fields. Don't yeah, count us out just yet. True. Yeah, I look. I, it's not. I, I would say the odds are not in our favor, but I don't think he's still listening. And as long as they're listening, especially when he's a hometown boy listening, things can happen. Uh, and if you, I, I think it was Marquise Ezard, uh, wide receiver of the 2018 class. And look, these guys don't always know what's going on, but they do talk. But he had a, a bold prediction uh, earlier in the week. I think this week where he said that he feels like Justin Fields is going to ultimately sign with Georgia, sign with us. I, and maybe he know, and maybe that's true right now. Maybe Fields gave him some indication that's true right now, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen down the road. You know, recruiting is a long game. So, But I think it's still just further evidence and further in, indication that we're still in this for him. I, I wouldn't say we're the favorite. We're not, but we're in it. Um, and look, if if he does decommit and go somewhere else, let's hope he, let's hope it's not Florida. I'd rather him stay at Penn State than go to Florida. That would be a disastrous. He moved up to I think in Rivals they moved him up to number two, or one of the recruiting services moved him up to number two player nationally, just behind uh, Trevor Lawrence. And I've been saying since last last year when I first saw this guy play, Justin Fields, in my opinion, I would take him over Trevor Lawrence because he now Lawrence is is mobile, but he's not a dual threat option like Fields. I mean Fields is legit. And he just there's more dimensions to his game. He's he's maybe not quite at the level of passer of Trevor Lawrence, but he's not far off. And that added dimension of him being able to to pull the ball and tuck it and run and and, make, and damage you with his legs, I think that gives him the edge over Lawrence. I I love Justin Fields, and as much as I love Jake Fromm, man, that'd be a hell of a battle on the road of Fields if we ended up somehow landing Fields. So, but to be honest, guys, I don't know what's going to happen. Those are just some names that you want to be looking at. A lot of these guys are off the board. We'll see. Uh, there's a long way to go, so we'll see what ends up happening there down the road uh all right next question here so we talked a little about some of the uh betting lines have been coming out we did some over-unders we looked at the national championship odds but now uh some of these vegas sports books are releasing some of the early college football lines for games and uh this this question refers to that says the early college football lines have us as an 11 point favorite against appalachian state but a 14 point favorite later in this season against south carolina is Appalachian State really a bigger threat to us than South Carolina? How do you see that? Um, I don't think so. I, well, I think App State could sneak up on you. I think what they did in Tennessee last year, uh, Kirby will be selling the fact that, you know, not to take them lightly compared to South Carolina, you know, this is a big game for them. We're considered a rival to them. And at the same time, they have a lot of kids from the state of Georgia, and they're trying to recruit a lot of kids out of the state of Georgia. So it's big for recruiting. It's big for all around. Why do you think? Because it is odd if you look at it. You know, Appalachian State to open the season, we're only an eleven-point favorite. Whereas later in the season, towards the end of the schedule, actually, we're a two-touchdown favorite to South Carolina, an SEC team. So, what is what are, in Vegas? I mean, these guys know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. I they, think one thing they have to do is maybe they expect us to be a little bit more uh, seasoned by the time South Carolina rolls around. But, but can you say the same about South Carolina? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's also, you know, catch-22. They could be more seasoned. I think they see a lot of experience with Appalachian State right now when you're talking about a senior quarterback and Taylor Lamb. Um, you've got a, returning, a leading returning rusher and Jalen Moore who's really good. Uh, but for me, I don't think Appalachian State is really a bigger threat to us in South Carolina. I think South Carolina is a better football team. I think they have... I think they have more playmakers. Appalachian State, don't get me wrong. I'm, I am deep in the throes of breaking down Appalachian State. Next week we're going to have uh, the first edition of uh, our Scouting the Enemy series. And we're going to start. We're going to go down the road. We're going to start with Appalachian State. So I am deep into the film breakdown of Appalachian State. And, guys, they have some serious playmakers offensively, and they can score, and they will score on us. Um, like I said, you got a senior quarterback in Taylor Lamb who's 
um, not the the most dangerous passer, but he's a dual threat guy that is a very effective leader for them. Jalen Moore is a very good uh, running back. He could play for any SEC team. But while they have some playmakers, South Carolina has better players at almost all those positions. Taylor Lamb is good, but Jake Bentley's better. Jalen Moore is good. I think Rico Dowdell's better. Uh, so I, I think Appalachia State's good, and we'll talk a lot about that next week. But I, I just think South Carolina is going to be better, especially late in the season. And I, I understand to a degree what they're talking about with Appalachian State and having us only as an 11-point favorite as opposed to a 14-point favorite against South Carolina. Appalachian State's not going to be intimidated, uh, but their overall talent level, it's no contest. I mean, they've been there. They've, done, they've, they've played in big stadiums. We saw what they did at Tennessee, although they got blown out at home by Miami later in the season. But they're not going to be intimidated. But I still think our overall, overall talent level, it's no contest there. And maybe it's, since it's the first game, Vegas doesn't think that we're going to be gelling so we have some young players that we're trying to work in. Maybe they think we're looking ahead to Notre Dame. I don't know. I I just know if I'm handicapping these games, I think South Carolina is the better team. We have both of them at home. I would give uh, I'd give South Carolina the edge there. Uh, okay, another question here, kind of related to Appalachian State. Uh, I still can't believe that we got a night game to open the season against Appalachian State. Do you think this is a positive sign for our chances to get more home night games moving forward, or is this just an isolated miracle? How do you see it? Um, I think it's something we're moving more towards, honestly. Why do you say that? What makes you say that? I think it's something that I, I believe Kirby's pushing for. I think you got his big thing is always recruiting, and recruiting atmosphere is better at night games. I mean, but how much control does he have over that? I'm not saying that he has a ton of control. I think he may be pushing for it, and at the same time, I don't know how much say people like McGarity and them have. That they he used don't. To have. They 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 really don't. I mean, it's TV's TV markets that drive this. It's yeah. ESP, I mean, it's they're paying billions of dollars for these games, so they're going to put on the game things to get the most eyes so they can sell and it at for the same advertisers. Time, I think it's a week by week thing. I mean, it totally that, is. the way Appalachian State played Tennessee last year makes them opening game against Georgia a little bit better than some sure. other SEC teams who may be playing Sisters of the Poor. Yeah, I, I think you hit a nail on the head right there. Because uh, to me, I don't think this necessarily means anything beyond this one isolated week. Because in week one, if you look at it, like you just said, Little Sisters of the Poor, there's a lot of baby seal clubbing going on by other SEC teams. I mean, you have the you have the Alabamas and Florida States, and you've got a BYU and LSU, but outside in Florida, Michigan, outside of that, there's a lot of baby seal clubbing going on. You know, Appy State, while they're not a powerhouse, they are a respectable Group of Five program that put on a show, like you said, they put on a show last season in the opener against Tennessee. So when you stack up the SEC games that first weekend, it just made sense for our game to fall in that six fifteen slot. It's not a great game that deserves a primetime slot like a eight o'clock, you know, ABC like Alabama and Florida State are getting. But it's still a better game than the likes of Florida A&M and Arkansas and South Alabama at Ole Miss. It's a better game than those. So it's going to fall into that. And you got to remember, also have that in week one, the U.S. Open tennis tournament is going on. ESPN's got the rights to that. So that's going to be on ESPN2. So it wasn't the ESPN2 slots to put on like a noon, noon game on ESPN2. So when you, when you lay out the schedule, our game, although it's not a great game, it's better than some of the other baby seals that some of the other SEC teams are playing. So it fits in that 615 slot. Um, as regards to the question of whether or not we're going to be selected for more night or primetime games the rest of the season, like I said, that depends entirely on how we perform on the field. You, like you mentioned, it's a week-by-week thing. If we perform well and we're highly rated, that's going to bring eyeballs to the games, and that's what ESPN wants because that means they can sell more money to advertisers. I mean, really, guys, it's not some grand conspiracy. I think there's some fans out there 
that want to make it out to be some grand conspiracy against us that we don't get more prime time and night games. I just don't, I don't think that's the case. It, to me, it's simply a fact that we haven't performed at a consistent enough level to merit those time slots on a consistent basis. We just haven't. Yeah, when we start winning at a high level consistently, we'll start getting some of those games. So I don't know if this one week is a sign of things to come. I just I just think it happens to be the way the schedule falls. And I know you and I kind of disagree on this a little bit. You like the night games, right? I mean, it's better atmosphere without a doubt. I Yes, I 100% agree with that. Here's my thing on night games. If it's a big game, like truly a big opponent, Absolutely, 100%, I want to be a night game. If it's an Alabama at home, if it's an Auburn at home, something like that. I, even a South Carolina, I, I get it. It's a much better environment. The, the players love it. The recruits love it. It helps us sell our program. But from a selfish perspective, you know, as a connoisseur of college football, uh, of course I'll watch every game. We, I'm be at every game that we play. But I also like to watch the other games as well. That's why when I tailgate, I don't tailgate outside. I tailgate at a bar so I can do all the tailgate stuff you normally do, but also watch the other games. And most of the time... The better games of the day are at night. You know, there's always a CBS 3.30, but you get the most of your primetime games at night. So it sucks to have us play at 7.45 or 8 o'clock at the same time all the other great games that day are going on because you can't watch them. So if it's not a huge game, like if we're playing Kentucky at home or playing, you know, I don't know, uh, Variable at home, I actually prefer them being early in the day. That way I can watch our game and then go home, go back to the bar, watch all the rest of the games. I, and and I, I DVR everything, so I, I don't really miss anything. I know I'm I'm really weird when it comes to that. I know, guys, trust me, I know. But I don't watch live sporting events because I, I, that way I can watch more games. If I record it and flash forward through the commercials, I can watch four or five games every night, every Saturday night, as opposed to only watching one or two all the way through. And I, I know you have to black out. I have to go into blackout with, with social media. and it, It's tough, but I make it work, at least most of the time. So, yeah, I mean, if it's a huge game, I'm absolutely 100% on board with a night game. But if it's like eh, that kind of game, I prefer it being during the day. But that's just me. I know I'm definitely far away from the norm on that. All right, next one, another recruiting question. I like this question as an old linebacker and linebacker coach myself. Uh, could you guys rank Owen Popo? I, I, I always say Popo. Am I saying that right? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to go Owen Popo uh, from Grayson. Tresman Marshall and J.D. Bertrand based on skill and the likelihood of us landing each of them. So those three linebackers who are all part of the 2019 class, Owen Popo from Grayson, Tresman Marshall from Clinch County, and J.D. Bertrand uh, based on skill and likelihood of us landing each of them. So breaking down their games first real quick, which guy out of those three stands out as the clear number one? Or is there a clear number one? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm kind of big on Popo. Oh, yeah, man. Okay, he so... reminds me a lot of Roquan. A lot of Roquan. And I think even more athletic than Roquan. Which is saying something. Oh, man. This is a tough one for me. I, I, okay, when you're looking at Owen Popo and J.D. Bertrand, to me, those are the new age type linebackers who are 6'1", 215, 230, 225, something like that. At this stage, and they're, they're, all, they're rising juniors in high school. That can that are every down linebackers that can that can play in the box uh, between the tackles and they can also spread out and and cover receivers in the slot cover guys down the seam that kind of thing the the, the Roquan Smith new age type linebacker Deion Jones new age linebacker uh, whereas Tresman Marshall who's already about two hundred thirty pounds as a sophomore in high school I think he's more of your old school downhill make your nose bleed middle linebacker so I think there's a little bit of difference. If you break them down that way, Owen Popo, in my opinion, is clearly like no contest the most athletic out of those three. I mean, he is 
he is the true definition of a freak athlete. And they call him the freak, and it's a very true moniker. He is a freak athlete. But the dude is about 205 pounds right now. He has got to put on some serious weight if he wants to play linebacker at, co- in the, at the college level. And I, I know he's a new age type linebacker. You want to use his speed, his athleticism to your advantage. I get that. But you also have to have enough weight to up to withstand uh, offensive linemen in the trenches in the SEC. So he, he, if he can get to about 225, 220, he'll be in really good shape. He's freakishly athletic. But J.D. Bertrand, I don't think he's that far behind Owen Popo. Now, Popo is, is superior athletically. But J.D. Bertrand is no slouch in his own right. He, he is just a hair bit behind Popo, in my opinion, athletically. Uh, I also think he's more instinctive as a, as a linebacker. I, like, I think he's a better tackler right now. I think he's better all around in terms of his technique and approach to the game. He doesn't quite have the athleticism that Owen has, but I think, technically speaking, I, I like what he brings to the table. Now, now, Marshall is a thumper, man. Downhill thumper. Who man, I, There's a place for a guy like him. I mean, look at what we have this year. You got Natres, who kind of fits that Tresman Marshall mold, and you got Roquan, who's more of the Ompopo JD Bertrand mode. It, you need to have both of those guys. So I, I would like to get Tresman Marshall and at least one of Popo and Bertrand. But now the next question here in their recruitment, what's the likelihood of us landing some of these guys? Like Popo, are you confident at all in us on us landing him? He's he's a guy who's been on the recruiting since, scene since going back to his yeah, eighth he's grade been on season. The scene for a long, a long time. time. But I, I think we have a, a good good shot. I mean, his teammate D'Angelo Gibbs, and at the same time, uh, you know, his dad's a big Georgia fan, so I think that we have factors helping us. But there's all that's true. All that's true. But there's also some there's, factors working against I mean, us. There's a, a lot of other programs after him, but I think we have a good shot. I mean, I, I think we're in the top five, honestly. We need to be better than top five. We're in his top five, yeah. But I mean, I, I think we are better in top five, but I'm not going to go out on a limb and just say stuff that I think, we don't know for true. True. I think for him, he's one of those guys right now, what we do on the field this year is going to really matter. I really do. Well, and I think it's also going to see what happens with Raquan and maybe if any of these young guys get an EPT. Yeah, that's that's another thing we got to look at as well. Yeah, I mean, they all, they all look at different things, whether it's path to playing time, the, the energy around your program. Or starting early, you know, different things, coaching, you know, the, the environment around the campus, all that. And you don't know how, what ways, what with each recruit. But I mean, there there are some influences around Owen that would send him our way, but there are also some influences that would detract from us. Uh, and we, we haven't gotten a ton of players from Grayson of late. I know we've got D'Angelo Gibbs, but that's the exception right now. Uh, Florida State, he's not a Grayson kid. He, yeah, right. He, true, truly not a Grayson kid. That's, that's a very true point. Um, Florida State has been mentioned prominently with Owen Popo right now. Mm, some of his teammates are committed there. Uh, man, I think we have a good shot. I, 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 still, I still think there's a lot of time left. Now, he's a guy that I think might commit earlier than you would think based on his time. Usually guys like this go the distance. They want to drag it out. But like we said, he's been involved in the recruiting game for so long. I imagine he, could, he, he might get worn thin with this um, before too long. So, man, I hope we get him. He's a stud. But if... If we don't land him, are you okay with J.D. Bertrand? Yeah. I totally am. I mean, Owen is the superior athlete. I will say that. But I will not be shedding a tear getting J.D. Bertrand because that guy can play. He's going to be a really good player wherever he ends up. Uh, All right, next question. Where would you rank our wide receiver tight end core against the rest of the SEC East? How would you break that down? Um, Tight end core, I'd say second. Well, uh, uh, I think well, I, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess he's saying like the our receiving like our pass catchers as a whole, right? wide receivers and tight ends together compared against the other groupings of the SEC East. I think it's what he's getting at. I would probably say third. Who would you have ahead of us? Uh, South Carolina and Florida. 
Why would you have Florida ahead of us? Uh, you know, Tyree Cleveland, uh, Antonio Callaway. Yeah. Like that. They have a little bit more. They have a go-to receiver where we truly don't. I think their tight ends are good enough to put them in that position. I agree with you on that front. I think Callaway uh, is a proven commodity at Florida. He's a go-to number one receiver. I think at South Carolina, you have a couple options there. You got, uh, of course, you got Debo Samuel, who was almost 800 yards receiving last year. And you got Brian Edwards, who was a true freshman last year. He was hurt for a part of the year. He had almost 600 yards receiving. And you added Hayden Hurst, who I've been on the record saying I think is the best tight end in the league right now, at least in terms of proven production, with over 600 yards receiving last year. So I think those teams right there, here's how I would break this down. And he's throwing Missouri, too, last year. Jamon Moore had 1,000 yards receiving last year. He's coming back. Uh, and if you look at Tennessee, I know they're losing Malone, but Jawan Jennings, you know, screw him, but he's coming back at almost 600 yards receiving last year. So he's, he's a solid receiver. Here's how I would break this down. I think teams like Florida and South Carolina, and maybe even Missouri with Jamon Moore, I think they have more proven production than us at the top. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. But saying that, I like our I like our talent, our depth, and the potential of the players that we have who haven't improved themselves yet. But I like their potential better better than just about any of them. Would you go as far as saying that? Yeah, I would. I mean, look, I, I like I really think Javon Wims gonna have a big year this year. I think Terry Godwin's gonna have a really big year. And if Miko Harbin can come in and, and make some plays offensively and get the system down. I like what I've seen. Out of, I, I, I like the potential that he brings to the table. I like what the, what Tyler Simmons potentially brings to the table. I like what Jeremiah Holman potentially brings to the table. I love uh, our tight end situation with Warner and Nada. And you can throw in guys like Blazevich and Harris as well, and they're doing some things as well. I love the potential. We don't have the proven production like Florida has with Antonio Callaway and South Carolina has with Debo Samuel and, and Edwards. We don't have Missouri's Jamal. We don't have those guys yet. Oh, they haven't proved it yet. But I think we have the players to do it. I think we have just as much talent and depth and potential as the other teams. They just got to prove it on the field. I, I, I can't say they will, they're going to do it until they actually do it, but I'm confident that we're going to have some guys break out. And our, at the end of the season, I think you can put our wide receiver and tight end core up against any of the other teams in the SECs once it's all said and done. We've got to see it, but I think there's a potential for that. Uh, all right, here's a question we got. Uh, actually, I got this this morning before we recorded. Uh, email from a guy apparently out west, so we appreciate the question. Uh, do you think Georgia will come back out west anytime soon, like to Colorado, Utah, or BYU? Us out west would like to see the dogs come back out west. So, Kurt, do you I see know, that happen? Aren't we supposed to be going to UCLA in a couple years? Yeah, I think it's like 2024, 25, something like that. So, it, I mean, it's seven, eight years away. But you, okay, uh, you're right. You're right there. That, I don't truly see us. I think it has to be a win-win. Well, I don't see us putting anything on the schedule before UCLA because our schedule, right. for the most part, unless we start canceling some games, it's pretty much set up for a non-conference, which sucks because the trip to Arizona State, the trip to Colorado. I mean, those are those are some those incredible trips, man. Like the trip to Colorado. I mean, no, we it sucked that we lost. It was such an incredible trip. It's one of the favorite places I've been to, to watch a football game. Or just because we don't get to see something like that. It's just different. So, as a fan, selfishly, yes, I want us to go play. Uh, although, I don't know about Utah or BYU. I don't know about going to Utah. Uh, I don't know how fun that would be. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know how much, you know, going back to the NBA thing, I don't know how much of a nightlife is there in Utah to enjoy. Maybe there is. I've never been there, so I don't know. 
But going to place like Stanford, oh, dude, I would kill to go play a game at Palo Alto. Going to Oregon, which is not going to happen because Greg McGarity, we already had that on schedule, and he got rid of that game. So I don't think it's outside of the UCLA game. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I, I hate that. I wish it would, but I just don't see anytime soon. Um, okay, speaking of Greg McGarity, next question. At the UJ Athletic Association meeting in St. Simons, I think that was last week. It was last week. Greg McGarity was quoted as saying that 16 of our 21 programs competed in the national tournament and that we, quote, can't be distracted by those that would seek to divide us. What in the world is he talking about? And is there any reason to hope for better days for our our athletic program with him running the show? (laughs) Kurt, you want to take that one? No. I I mean, there's no no chance of better days with him as the lead. I mean, he's afraid to pull the trigger and fire, get rid of coaches that – you know, especially like uh, people like baseball coach that he has hired. Um, he's afraid to get rid of them to admit he made mistakes, and then at the same time, he's not willing to put money where it needs to be spent. I mean, like just now we're putting. Well, up the we are. Money. We have spent almost a hundred million dollars on football over the past two to three years. Yeah, but at the same time, how long had it, had he been here before he pulled the trigger? Basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that hard to put a million dollars and have that video board in the middle of those things that he's put off forever and ever. Tennis. We're, we're now feeling the effects of oh him t- taking that stuff off the board. What a disaster um, it was! I mean, look, we, you and I were at, at every match he played in the tennis tournament up here in Athens, and look, we have the best like outdoor facility. Our ten- the Damanville Tennis Complex is incredible. But our indoor facility is a freaking joke. And with all the rain we had, it, it almost – it was a major disruption to the uh, to the tournament. And it, it put – clear for everyone to see, it underscored why we're not getting the insulated tournament – tennis tournament back here for at least another five years. And that's and all Greg McGarry. Fact, you know, during all these rain delays, I was standing really close to Greg McGarry just to kind of see. And, you know, he had very little control over everything. And at the same time, you know, I mean, it, it just looked embarrassed. Well, he should have been. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the fact is that, especially, you know, that's something I didn't know for a while that most of you listeners might not know is that he was a tennis coach, played tennis at Georgia. And and yet he will not give any money to the University of Georgia. It's things like that that show me that he will not improve. We will not take strides under him. I mean, but yeah, but tennis is not a revenue producing sport as much as I love yeah, it. But I'm saying we're, we're talking about across the board. He wants to talk about us competing. Well, there's things that he has to do across the board to improve us as a program or as a as a you know at, at the University of Georgia, even football. All right, yeah, he put money into the uh, indoor facility, and now we're building that thing on the uh, new locker room and stuff. We still need a new weight room. There's still things that need to be done that won't get done for years because we waited too long. I agree. Let's go back to the question here too. So he was in the quote here. He was quoted as saying. Are that we had 16 of our 21 programs competing in the national tournament. What? What is he talking? I'm with the guy who asked this question. What is he talking about? So, I don't know because he did soccer. Soccer wasn't there. Baseball's not there. Soccer, baseball, uh, basketball, basketball was in the, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, softball was not in the NCAA tournament. Football technically wasn't. Football, yeah, football technically wasn't. Uh, golf, men's golf and women's golf. That's seven right there. Okay, that's so that's we can say fourteen out of twenty-one definitely. At the top of my head, weren't there. So I honestly like. And what is he defining as in, competing in the national tournament? Like in the NCAA tournament, that's seven teams right there that were not in their NCAA tournament. Uh, so I, I, I think he's just clearly making stuff up there. I, I don't know what numbers he's looking at. And, and can't when he's be, talking about dividing, I think yeah, can't be distracted that, by those that would seek to divide us. 
What are you talking I think about? He's, he's trying to talk about the people that talk negatively about him. Absolutely. Because he wants to save his butt, but it's the fact that people just speak the truth, but he thinks they're dividing the program because they're in, within the program there's people that support him. And then there's a heck of a lot of people that the people that he, like he he's talking about. Hey, get off my back! Is basically what he's saying there. Yeah, he's more or less. He's but saying dude, all what, you're, what he's missing here is the people who are on his back. It's because we're loyal to the University of Georgia, and we know we're better. We know we're we should be better. To Rick McGarity, we're loyal to the to the red black. Yep, absolutely, absolutely, man. He and just wants he wants everyone to be behind him when he's done nothing to say to prove to get behind. Him. Yeah, you want this? Like, look, when you first got the job, we supported you. Uh, unconditionally, because you were a Georgia guy, you're an Athens native, and we had high hopes. And you had, you really didn't, he didn't really have a, uh, a resume to fall back on, so we can say, oh, I don't know about this guy. You know, he worked at Florida for a while, and Florida had a really good athletic program, so we had high hopes. But now, at some point, you've got to give us reason to support you. At some point, and right now, I, I don't have a ton of reasons to support him. I mean, I don't think he's been as bad as everyone wants to make him out, as some make him out to be, but he certainly has not been a progressive athlete. That's my biggest issue with him, is that he's entirely reactive. In no way is he cutting edge. In no way are we a progressive program under him. We haven't been. Uh, he's reactionary and doesn't make moves unless he's absolutely forced to. And I think, and patience is, it's, it's a fine line. Patience is good, but it can also be a killer if you're too patient. So you got to walk that line. I don't know if he's done a great job of that. And here's kind of a related question tagging on to this, and you kind of dug into this, but we'll just hit it real quick. What is it going to take for our football program to have the best facilities? Do you think AD Greg McGarity will approve them? Uh, the biggest thing is new weight room. I think Bud Samir needs a huge facelift across the board. Yeah, look, the, the, the indoor facility, guys, if you haven't had a chance to see it, it's incredible. Yeah, I've seen. I've been to a lot of campuses and seen a lot of indoor facilities. And ours is by far the best I've seen. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen one come close. That needs to be done. That won't get done ever. Is we because we have too many people complain about it. You know, you have to be fair. But there truly needs to be an athlete only dorm that is truly pimped out like other schools like Clemson and Auburn are doing. Well, we kind of have that with ECV to a degree. I guess it's yeah, not. But- but it needs to be truly pimped out. I mean, you have, like, Auburn has a really nice one, and it got to the point where I, I believe I read a story where a Clemson coach snuck into the dorms to take pictures of it, and now Clemson is redoing an athlete's dorm to fit that, to make it like that. Yeah, and, yeah, and going back to the days, like when I was a kid and I used to go to the Georgia football camps, we had, I think it was the McWhorter dorms, but it was like football only, if I remember correctly. And so you had your own – you had it – was, it was awesome. You had your own little mecca there. It used to be right next to the baseball field. It's basically where the – well, right next to the tennis complex. It's kind of where the, all those parking lots are now or uh, where it used to be. Um, if I, man, I was young. I think I, I think I remember that correctly. But we don't have anything like that. ECV is all – it's it's with athletes from all different sports, and it's 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 a and college dorm. students door. that are like sophomores and above. Yeah, and it's, and it's just an average college dorm. I mean it's, a, it's nice and clean, but it's nothing spectacular, you know? Like it was when it was built. When it was first built, ECV was really nice. But now it's kind of like, okay, we've been passed by. Let's do. And like always, we're gonna, at some point we'll be react. We'll be reactionary to all this. And we're not going to be progressive. I will say it's kind of cool the, the DJ thing though. I think I added to the locker room, but that's Kirby. Yeah, I mean that's one thing where we need. Across I guess. The board. I guess McGarity has to give him approval for those things. But I don't know, man. Uh, look, I'll say this. Based on what I've seen under Greg McGarity, we are never going to lead the pack and be cutting edge in terms of facilities. We, I think, w- with the money we have, we will always be around the fringes of the of the top group of, in terms of facilities. Because look, I mean, we do have some. I mean, Buttsmere is a nice facility. It's not state of the art, but it's nice. Our weight room is terrible, but uh, 
But uh, one thing I want to say about that too, though, while you're touching on the money, is it's pretty sad when our alumni association has come out and openly said that we they will not be giving money until he actually shows where this money's going. Because you know he wants to brag about all the money in the account. Well, what does that matter? It, I mean, it's like you have all this money, but you die. Well, what good is that money for you if you're dead? You need to spend that money. You need to do it to improve your program. And that's always the whole thing. And now I you know do. now they're pretty much saying the funds are dry unless we actually start building stuff. I don't disagree with you. Like I think that we sit on our reserve funds too much. I think we're too hesitant to dip into that. But I do understand financially why we have it, why we want to have a solid reserve fund because it gives well, I mean, us it gives us but their whole excuse though with the reserve fund was you know indoor facility well we don't want to have to use it they didn't have to use a single penny and exactly they used it as right crush too long. yeah our donors are willing to pony up if they know it's going to be spent properly the reason we want to have the reserve fund is to make sure that we get favorable lending terms from banks. That's what it comes down to. We, we, we want to we have good, solid credit so that we can pay you back so we get good, solid lending terms with all the construction going on. That's really what it comes down to. That's what that fund is for, and that's why yeah, we're hesitant to dip into it. Banks just use it as an excuse when it's truly not. Well, I think they go to the extreme with it. Like We need to have a nice, solid reserve fund, but I think we go to the extreme with what we have. And it's, and as you're right, you're right. If you, if you sell to our donors, we're, we're going to spend the money. People will donate to pay for all this stuff. The McGill I mean, Society has been a smashing success. That, you know, we talked about how we didn't want to spend any money. Well, they didn't have to spend a single dime, and that's what the donors are saying. You know, you want all this money in the account, but if you're not going to spend it, we're we'll, you can have that, but we'll only donate money to the program if it's for a fund to be built. Yeah, I think the for the indoor practice facility, we it was a thirty million dollar price tag. I think we raised thirty six million for that, and so and it still hasn't been named. So and that's right. We still haven't given the naming rights. So there's gonna be more attached to it. And that other six extra six million we got just went ahead and went into the fund for the West End Zone project. Which, as of the last report, we already had almost twenty million dollars of that raised, which over sixty plus what, million. Close to forty percent funded. Well, about it's about a third of it, right? I think it's like about 60, 63 million dollars. Yes, I mean we've gotten we've gotten a, a, a lot of cash there um, already donated. So and that's, that just got kicked off relatively recently in the past couple months. So. I, I, look, I don't think we're ever going to have the best facilities because we're not all in like Alabama and Auburn and, and Clemson. And at the same time, we don't have a lot of space to grow. Well, we have space to grow, just not on campus, like on the, in the heart of campus. They won't do what needs to be done. I, you know, some of these listeners might not agree, but baseball needs to be torn down and moved to where softball is, and that needs to be put to, towards something for South football. Millage. Here's what I would love to have done. And look, I, and look, I'm not in these meetings, so I don't know the feasibility of this, but what we've been badass – is if when we instead of renovating flow, which I agree, we, instead of renovating flow, we should just torn it down and built something better. We, sh- we should have bought some land on the fringes of downtown and put put a facility out there. How awesome would that have been? I mean, it, it, instead it, of some it, of these it, instead of some of these real estate developments going up with the student housing, we could have easily put a new baseball facility or a basketball facility out there downtown. That would have been incredible. Well, and that's the thing. No but we're not forward thinking enough to do that. Bowling, you can't grow. You can't grow it anymore because it's it's on the road right no I mean, we're fully is right now all go. you can do is renovate it you can put a you can put makeup on the pig lipstick on the pig that's it now if you want to build a whole facility it's going to go on south millage or somewhere else where there's open land um but i i, I don't know like I, like I said i just don't think we're ever going to have the best football facilities because we're not all we're not all in we're not willing to spend that the, that money and do what it takes like in alabama or in auburn and clemson has been doing recently but i think we sh- we'll always probably have on the fringes of of that top group, but will never be the best. I just don't. Not with Greg McGarity. I just I don't. Maybe if someone else came in, it was a little more forward thinking. But I don't know. And I and I honestly, 
the one thing that hurts us now too is since, since we are divided on Greg McGarity, he's not able to fundraise. Like, he, are we like divided on him? I, I, are there people out there that really support him? Like, I strongly? Think there are there are people who support him because he probably does what they want. Well, it's, it's the people, people. It's the people in the positions of power who support him, and they're the only ones that matter. I think the rank and file fan base does not support him. From exactly, what I can tell. and that hurts us in fundraising too. Because he's not – most ADs go out there and raise money. Now most of the fundraising is being done by Kirby because McGarity's – But we're still able to money. raise a lot of money. I mean, the Magos Society has been a major well, success. Well, I mean I know that, but ADs themselves usually are able to get some big money. So that's in. a big part of the job. Yeah, no doubt. And I don't know how well he is able to do that job because he doesn't have a base of support. A lot of truth in that. A lot of truth in that. All right, a couple more questions real quick. Let's get off that. Um, speaking of – I guess this is also kind of related to Greg McGarity. Did we just set our baseball program back five plus years with a decision to retain Scott Strickland as head coach? I know you're you got a lot of thoughts on this, so let it go. I don't know if we pushed us back five years. Um, I think it may have pushed us back because I don't know how well he does it developing people. You know, McGarity's thing was well, he honored people's scholarships. Yeah, but he still hasn't developed many people. And I think that's the biggest thing is I don't know how well the developer is. But at the same time, people have to realize that when you do fire a coach, it kills that recruiting class and makes the next one that much harder because most of those kids in baseball are already committed. It's not like it's not like football where they can go until February. Most baseball, good baseball players are committed early because they sign early. So uh, it does push you back a little bit to hire a new coach at the same time. So um, – it, it's it's a catch twenty two really. I mean, the guy his first recruiting class he's gonna have to honor what Strickland had really. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there was a report. I think it was Seth Emerson does a great job for the AJC. I think he came out and had an article about this the other day, or maybe it was Chip Towers, one of the two. Um, and he was talking to Greg McGarity and asked him about baseball and asked him why he bring back Scott Strickland. And so this oh yeah, was, it was it was yesterday. He was being grilled at down at SEC meetings. Yeah, and, and you knew that was going to happen, and his response was, well, the first two classes that Scott Strickland recruited weren't really his classes. You know, the first one he had to take what um, Perno had recruited, and then he honored the scholarships for the next class that Perno had already offered, like you mentioned. So he's really only had two recruiting classes that were his own, so we want to give him another one. And uh, there's some, there is an element of truth there. I think we have a good young core. I really do. I, I actually think we'll be pretty good next year. I don't know if we'll be great, but I think we're going to be a lot better. Get guys like Michael Curry coming back, who... Probably our best hitter all year at uh, 10 home runs, 46 yeah, RBIs. First team All American. Yeah. yeah. You got Cam Shepard, Tucker Bradley, maybe Keegan, Keegan McGovern comes back. But the shortstop yeah, Bradley's crazy. a question mark. But I mean, we have the potential to have some of these guys come back. They've uh, gotten some meaningful reps as freshmen. I'll yes. Say that. And I think we've got some decent arms. I don't love our I mean, I think Zach Christofak is a really, he's got a lot of promise. I uh, did some good things for us. A small dude, but, but a good pitcher. And at the same time, we don't know how that's going to develop now. The pitching coach is out. we we got to wait and see who the next – and that's the thing also. With Strickland being on the hot seat as much as he is, it's hard for him to hire a good That's coach, the thing too. Like, that, that's like when, when, you, when you're forcing your head coach to make moves on his staff, it, it, it hardly ever works. You know, we used the example a couple weeks ago like with Mark Rick and Todd Grantham. We had to – we, we, Todd Grantham was not our first, second, or third choice. We had to settle for him because we couldn't get anybody else because they knew that Rick was probably going to be gone in – a short amount of time, which lo and behold, turned out to be true. We wanted Kirby. Kirby, there were reports back then, and I don't know how true it was. He had signed an offer agreement, but backed out because he was convinced by Saban that you're joining a sinking ship. And if you just hold on a couple of years, you'll get the head job, which turned out to be prophetic. So it's a similar situation here. How good are we? Gonna, like, how good is the pitching coach that we're going to be able to hire? 
I I don't know when because you could look at it from one from a certain perspective and say Scott Strickland yeah he got brought back but he might be dead man walking if you don't have a big year made the tournament this year. So I don't know, man. That's a great point. I think we'll be better next year, but are we going to be good enough to for him to keep his job moving forward? Because the thing is, if you're going to if if you're just reading back for one more year and then he's going to be gone for that, then then you are setting your program back. I don't think you're setting your program back back five years. Yeah, not but, that far. But at but least maybe. an extra year. It's a, the rebuild will be at least one more year. Which if you think if you don't think there's a realistic chance he's going to improve on it and get to the tournament, he's going to be your guy long term. Then. I think you should go ahead and make the move. So clearly, I guess McGarity feels like Strickland's going to be the guy long term, and maybe he will. I hope he will. We haven't seen evidence of that to this point, outside of the strong finish of this season. You know, beating ranked uh, teams, ranked series, or winning series against ranked teams, Mississippi State and Kentucky, and also being South Carolina. Who was, but South Carolina was not much to talk about this year. They might be firing their head coach. Holbrook might be gone. So I, I would be hopeful. We have some guys: Curry, Shepard, maybe McGovern, maybe Bradley. Uh, we have some guys. Um, we'll see. We'll see. All right, and last question here. Uh, this was just, just got this question today, a late arrival, because the news just came down. With the news of Bryce Ramsey staying at Georgia, do you think this will allow Jake Fromm to redshirt this year? I think that gives them an opportunity to, yes. I think, I think that's, that's what they hope to plan to do. Yeah, I think that's it's why Kirby was – Yeah, I think that's why Kirby was going so hard after Ramsey to get him to stay. Is because look, is Ramsey going to start this year? No, barring injuries, no, he's not going to. But he uh, he gives us that buffer between Eason and Fromm, like you said, to allow us to have that year of class separation, which for the program long term is incredibly good for our health, the long term health of this program, because you can feasibly now we're going to see how things play out, but feasibly you can have Eason your starter in seventeen eighteen. Probably goes pro if all things work out, and kind of cross your fingers hope it works out that well because it means he's really good. We did really well, and then you got Fromm as a redshirt sophomore, junior, and senior, so he'll have three years as opposed to possibly only having two years if he's not able to redshirt. So I think for the long term health of the program is a really good thing. Now there's still a lot to be played out here, um, and look, I it, maybe Fromm comes into fall camp and just blows everyone away and doesn't win the job but makes it so, so obvious that he's good enough to play that maybe he'll get some snaps. I don't see why we would ever do that. I don't think that's logical. But who knows how he, what will happen if he performs admirably and just blows people away during fall camp. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. But I, I do think this means that Fromm is going to redshirt, uh, and I think that's good for our program long term. I really do. And I just want to give a shout to Bryce Ramsey. Dude, love you, man. I mean, you could have gone and played somewhere else, smaller school. It's probably – I've never been in that situation, but this is the decision I think is the right decision. It's what I would have made. Come back, be a dog for life, man. And uh, Bryce is, he, you know, never turned out to be the, the quarterback we thought he was going to be as a starter necessarily, but he's been a dog through and through, man. And he, he's he's really, I don't want to say taking one for the team because he still gets to graduate from Georgia, which he's already going to do, and spend another year in our program, which I would have loved to have done. Um, but he, he's definitely a damn good dog for, for coming back and helping his team out. So. Props to Ramsey there. All right, guys. So that is everything. Uh, we really appreciate all the questions we got this week. Hopefully we did at least an okay job answering them for you guys. Check back with us next week. We're going to start rolling out a few new series here, including our Scouting the Enemy series. We're going to open with Appalachian State. Then Deep in the Throws are breaking them down. So hopefully that will be uh, something you guys will enjoy. So check us back next week. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs. <laughs>